This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs. Well, we're always discovering how to develop better clients, build a better practice, and create a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. Very excited today is we have a very special guest to talk about something I think is a major issue in CPA firms and particularly smaller CPA firms, but even bigger ones. Um, I came from big four and they were, it was a big issue there. The biggest cost we have right now is turnover. And I'm not talking about client turnover, though that's expensive too. I'm talking about employee turnover with low unemployment. It is so expensive to lose an employee. We spend months and months, sometimes years and years training them. And when they leave, it is a huge hit to our firm. So our topic today is how to, how to actually create a culture where people love coming to work. And I have, <laughs> 25 years ago, I started my first CPA firm and I had two goals. And my first goal was to create a CPA firm where entrepreneurs could get the best advice. Um, particularly tax advice. And the second was to create a culture where people loved coming to work. And it's taken me 25 years. We have a terrific culture in both of my companies, both my sales company, uh, both, uh, both the Wealth Building Network company, as well as the, uh, my CPA firm. And we have a very special guest today, Bruce Daisley, who has an incredible resume. And I'm going to let him introduce himself, but he has, he is now on this mission to talk about and, and discover how to deal with culture, how to prevent burnout. And I'll get back to this in a second. Now I have something specifically for CPAs. What if you could discover a simple way to double your profitability in the next 90 days without adding any new clients? That's right. Whether you're a CPA, tax advisor, other tax professional, accountant, bookkeeper, in my newest resource, I will walk you through a simple five-step process that's proven to help you do just that. We have members of our network that have doubled their profitability in 90 days or less, and you can do this too. Now, to get your free copy, just go to wealthability.com slash CPA profit. That's wealthability.com slash CPA P-R-O-F-I-T. Get this new resource so that you can double your profitability in the next 90 days. Bruce, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for being here today. Uh, listen, I'm so grateful to speak to you. Um, I'm so fascinated with, with the themes that you've just hinted at there, the, the themes of how we can build good culture. So, so before you ask me anything, I wonder if I could ask you something. How do you believe that you've now reached this good culture in the in the uh, in the firm that you're running? Well, so, so I look at, you know, I've, <laughs> I'm a CPA, right? So I look at numbers and facts um, first, like, like most of my colleagues do, and we just, we don't have any turnover. So not having turnover in a period where there's massive turnover, and I see other firms with a lot of turnover, that tells me we must be doing something right. But the other is, is that the energy in the office is so good, and people yeah. are happy People are engaged. People are, uh, you know, when you talk about the mission, they're talking about the mission. It's not just the 
owners and the and the leadership talking about the mission, but they're taking ownership of our mission. And uh, it, it's absolutely, literally, it's a joy for me going to the office. And I don't do it very much because I tend to screw things up at the office. Um, but I, I absolutely love going to the office. And that's, that's not always been the case. Um, you know, I will readily admit that's not been all, always the case in my own firm. I haven't always enjoyed going to work. Well, so it's... Uh, hence why I wanted to ask you, because so often when, when any of us re- recollect of favorite times at work or favorite companies, we'll often remember, I think as you describe it there, um, we'll remember times where we've been productive, where good work was getting done. But it's not long before we often remember good energy or, you know, actually we used to laugh quite a lot with those people. And we remember positive associations. And it's remarkable the amount of times that we we link the two together, that people will say, you know, we worked hard, but we played hard at that time. We, We laughed every day. We celebrated each other. And, you know, for me, this was my start point to this. So to take a step back, I was... Um, I was working at Twitter. I was one of the most senior people at Twitter outside the U.S. And my job was really to sort of build the culture in the London office. And we started very much like the way that you just described it there. We started with a culture of five or six people. And you can, tell, you can definitely tell in those times when things are going well and when things are going badly. Uh, we started with five or six people. We were fortunate because with our ex- our success, we expanded to, uh, we, we became several hundred people. But along the way, there was a few steps that I took where um, at times the culture was had been incredible, positive, motivating in the way that you described, but something went wrong. And so I guess the closest, I could, the closest metaphor I could give was that it's a little bit like when you're at a party and you know, you've got this intention that this party is going to be the party of the year, that everything's going to go well. And then at nine o'clock or at half past eight, people start leaving. And you're like, oh, what's gone wrong? And and I presented myself with the challenge. I wondered, right, can I get this party going again? Can I, can I get back to that workplace culture that was going so well? And I set about very much, my intention was to try and work out what the leading experts in the world said about this and what could I, as a simple-minded fool, do to to steal their best advice and to to make things work? And firstly, what I discovered was that there was no shortage of evidence of how we can improve our workplaces, but remarkably little of it was reaching people in jobs. And so that astonished me. There was... There was no shortage of advice on how we should motivate teams, on the environment that we want to create, on the the dynamic where uh, people should feel free to speak openly. And yet, when it came to the me being a, a manager in an office, I felt like I had no guidance, no advice. No one had ever counseled me on what I should do and shouldn't do. And so that was it. I set about trying to discover what the secrets of good workplace culture were. And, and almost, you know, the, the creating a book out of it, I started with a podcast, the creating a book out of it was, was very much an afterthought. Uh, someone said to me, you've been doing a podcast on this, same title as the book, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. You've been doing a podcast on this for two years. You must have some things that you've learned now. 
And I, I started the podcast on it merely while I was at my job at Twitter, trying to give me access to talk to these experts. Um, and after two years, I, I put it all in t- together. It's, it's like I say, it's, it's now come out as a book. And the, the way I see the book is it's like a cookbook. You don't read it from start to finish. But you might think of the things that are going wrong in your workplace and you open the the cookbook to that to that recipe, to that chapter, and you see if you can solve your problems there. So, Bruce, you know, give us like... Um... What, what's your number one thing? I mean, what what is the number one thing you think that creates a better culture or, you know, I mean, there's always a culture, right? <laughs> Good or bad, there's a culture yeah. at a workplace. Yeah, that's uh, right. What is it, what, what, what would be the number one thing that you think that an employer can do and particularly the entrepreneur can do to help generate that positive energy as, as you were talking about the, the positive yeah. energy that people want that energy. It's something that they actually want. So they want to come to work because they want to feed off that energy. They want to feel that energy and, uh, and, and it feeds them. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things that seems to contribute most um, completely to the way that people feel and experience of work is when they feel that they can be honest with their assessment. It's sometimes called psychological safety, and this is the ability to speak candidly to each other. If we, if we feel like we can't speak honestly to our boss, then we tend to, over time, start telling our boss what our boss wants to hear. So, you know, a good scenario might be that you're worried that the approach you're taking with on the clients that you're you're representing, you're worried that you're your client's not taking your advice or you're worried that your client is doing the wrong thing. And psychological safety is our, is our ability to speak honestly, candidly on those situations. And there's been plenty of examples. I think probably the issues that we're observing at Boeing could well be uh, an example of this, where a lot of people might know the issues that are going on, but people fear that they, they aren't allowed to, um, to speak truth to power. They're not allowed to express their reservations. They're not allowed to express their concerns. So I think, you know, trying to get to that zone where your team can speak honestly to each other is really critical. So, one of the places that, um, paradoxically, one of the places that where they have to do this is in, not necessarily in airline companies, but in airline cockpits. So um, one of the things that the airline industry recognized a few years ago was that it was it was almost without exception before, before this Boeing issue. Um, almost without exception, the only time that airlines crash, in fact, I think 2017 was the first year in history that not even a single passenger airline crashed. But um, when we when we look at why passenger airlines do crash, they generally crash for for the reason that there's bad communication between the members of the of the crew. And so what the aviation industry did. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, is they mandated an approach to communication that would in, that would guarantee psychological safety. So someone who is low status can speak truth to power. They can speak honestly to the, the most senior member of the, the, the cockpit crew, telling them um, an issue that they've got. And so just a good reminder that probably one of the most powerful things for direct and, and powerful communication, good, good communication between 
uh, maximum age, any team is this psychological safety. It's very hard so, to get. So how do you do that? So, so, so Bruce, how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, how, how do you, you know, I think that my colleagues, I, I mean, you know, CPAs, we're, as a general group, pretty nice people. You know, we're not prima donnas as a, as a general rule. And so, you know, what is it that, that actually creates that openness that allows people, gives them a feeling of safety that they can express their opinion with, without fear of retribution because they are expressing their opinion, after all, to their boss who could, you know, make their life miserable. So, or, or let them go or, yeah. or whatever. I mean, even, even just give them, you know, bad work or whatever. I mean, there's all sorts of potential retribution, right? So how do you actually create that so that people feel comfortable coming uh, and, and, and opening up? Well, I think this is the, the really critical component. And it, it's a good reminder that, you know, if any of us are going to help build a positive workplace culture, it's, it's generally a consensual thing. If your boss isn't willing to in, engage with discussion, with dialogue, then, you know, my suggestion is that you try and bring them some evidence. My, you might suggest, you know, through my book, I give lots of articles that you might send to your boss, lots of evidence that you might put in front of your boss. Because generally bosses, in my experience, and, and I might be uh, misguided here, generally bosses haven't got an ulterior motive to do the wrong thing. They just are starting from a different start point. Right. So a boss will be thinking, I want to get the, the work done. Their, their approach might be, okay, I want everyone at their workstations at 9 a.m. Because I'm at a workstation at 8.30. I want everyone here. And a boss doesn't start with a malign intent. You know, they're, they're not superhero baddies. But they probably just start with a different perspective. And the very best way that we can try and adapt their perspectives and change the approach is with evidence. So... Um, my feeling is, you know, there's no shortage of businesses, and I document many of them, who've been tried to approach a different way. Let me take, talk you through what approach the military take. So the elite military, the, this case, like the, the UK equivalent of Navy SEALs, they recognize that a feedback loop that, that goes top to bottom in the organization is one of the most important things when it comes to military sure. excursion, military deployment when they're when they're out and about and so one of the things that they do is they um at the end of every day's activity they have a a stand-up debrief so they have a meeting a stand-up debrief at the end of the day where one of the the lead members of the U.S. force he's told me uh, the approach he takes he stands up and he says okay here's what happened today often they'll be standing sweating in their kit still uh They'll say, here's what happened today. And then they'll say, he'll say uh, what he did. And then they'll describe what they, um, what has gone wrong and, uh, and what specifically he did wrong. And this is a really important part of it because when, when he says that what he did wrong, it gives permission to everyone else in the group to admit their own mistakes. And he, he said it's, it's been learned by their organization over time. But what they've learned is that the more candid they all are about speaking about what they've each personally done wrong, then it starts demonstrating that actually being wrong is part of the process. It's, it's part of 
the very nature of us doing our jobs and it shouldn't be something that we, we heap shame on. So it was just an interesting approach. Another access point to try and get this, this psychological safety going. I, I love that, Bruce, because um, we, we have one of our rules, even uh, part of our, our code of honor at our office is that um, we never deny, blame or justify. Right. We always accept responsibility. And, um, you know, when when you go, look, I made a mistake here. I, I didn't do this right. And I love, um, I love that when the boss says, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. I messed up here. Um, it, it does. I can see that it does yeah. absolutely give that feeling. One of the other things we do, I learned this by you. One of the things we do is, um, we have a rule in our network, um, of CPA firms. We have a rule that we never give advice. We only share experiences, um, have okay. you have you had experience with that? I mean, what's what's your experience there? Yeah, that's that's an interesting approach. Um, I've I've definitely heard a few people along the way describe situations where they they say, um, you know, the Pixar experience is similar to that. So Pixar have built what is the I think the envy of the music uh, the, the movie world because they've had just this constant stream of hits. They do. It's almost unprecedented. The, uh, the volume of success they've created. One of the approaches that they've taken with a system that they've called the Brain's Trust, um, which is almost systematized psychological safety. One of the things that they've done is they've, um, they've introduced a system where uh, the, the team is brought in to see the rushes or the advanced part of a story, and everyone sits in the room, and collectively they, they will all comment on it, but they will... The group is told to give their feedback, their constructive feedback, their their, their uh, take on it. But no one is allowed to make suggestions of how to improve it. So it sounds adjacent yeah, to what you're describing. Very, very similar. Effectively, that, yeah, they're, they're diagnosing, but they're not solving. And I think the reason why is that even if the the solution is self-evident from the feedback, there's something about humans where we want to feel like we own the solution rather than we're forced towards the solution. So even if, you know, the, you know, the, the, it's pouring with rain and someone, you know, points out that you have an umbrella, but not instructing you to open the umbrella gives you the sense of agency where you felt that you, um, you made the final decision yourself. So it's interesting that you've you sort of seen something very similar. Yeah, it, 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 it is. It's, um, it, <laughs> I, I was, I didn't come up with it. A friend of mine uh, told me that they do that in their, uh, in, in their, in their mastermind groups. And I thought, wow, that's great. And we've adopted it, um, throughout our companies and, and, and everywhere just because, and, and really what I love about it is, so I'm the youngest of six children and, um, yeah. grew up, um, with, a older siblings always telling me what to do. Right. And so, you know, one of my things, one of my trigger points is don't tell me what to do. And so yeah. I've, I've been in, in groups where, you know, especially mastermind groups where you'll have 15 people in the room and 14 are, are giving advice about you should do this and you should do that. And just going, that doesn't make me feel good. Right. But if you share an yeah. experience, Oh, okay. I can relate to that. And I can figure it out myself. I, I think you, you hit it right on the head is that it's, it's when people take ownership and they feel like it's their idea. And when you share an experience, it's not your idea. It's just your experience. Now they can have their own idea, 
based off your experience. I, I love that. I absolutely love that, Bruce. That's a that's isn't isn't that fascinating as well yeah. when it comes to um, the application of human psychology that we might all learn a rule, but at the end of the day, if you're the youngest of six kids, then that rule will feel very different to you if you've spent your whole formative years with five boisterous infants ordering you around. And so it's just a good reminder that at the end of the day, all of this brilliant work, all of this learning that we've all gathered needs to be experienced by a human. And so it's just a good reminder that some of the things we forget, we, we sometimes want three bullet points how to deal with situations. And what we forget is that the, the software in the person in front of us, you know, the way that they've been coded can be very different based on their own life experience. Oh, that's that's very important. Um, one other thing that that I found, um, and I want to run this by you, Bruce, um, is um, this idea of having a mission outside of making money. You know, I used to I used to always say that the business of business is a profit, and I've actually changed my tune considerably over the last ten years to where I think that profit is the is is kind of what happens when you go after a mission to solve problems. And what I've, what I've been finding is, you know, I get a lot of, I hear a lot of people say, oh, millennials are so hard to deal with. And, you know, that it's that they're just difficult. And I'm going, all of my employees, literally in my CP firm, every one of them, except for two who are uh, Gen Zers, but they're all millennials. And they're very happy coming to work and they're very happy working hard. And they're, they're, they're not lazy at all. What they do seem, what does seem to be very important to them, however, is having something bigger than themselves, a, a mission to go after. And, and I think, I suspect that has created, that has contributed to the culture of uh, people enjoying coming to work. Have you found that in your experiences around the world? Yeah, well, I certainly I do believe that what you've recognized is, is something that there's a broader perspective and a, and and a, a wider sense that people want something more from their jobs than, than ever before. I think, you know, it's so easy. I've witnessed through all of the work that I've done. It, it, it's so easy when any of us are confronted with a world that feels different to the world that we grew up in, that we, we start blaming the previous generation. And in truth, I think it's happened to each of us as we, as we the, the young generation, the elder generation blamed us for sort of some moral decay or some, uh, some weakening of the fabric of, of human beings. But it, it does seem like there's, there's a greater interest in now in success beyond just profit and creating a, a better experience. I, I'm really convinced that these things can be can be connected and, and it doesn't it shouldn't see an, seem to be an either or. I'm really inspired. There's a, a wonderful uh, sort of thought leader really called Zeynep Tom who is a, um, a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And actually, she's an operations professor. So all she looks into is the logistics of getting item A from, from the start of the process to the end of the process. But she's discovered that retail chains at supermarkets who give their workers a better employee experience, who care more about the experience of people at their work, those retail employers, are more profitable than the ones who don't. And so immediately her mission, and she, first and foremost, she's all about the bottom line, but her mission is that 
she's then started to educate that sector that doing the right thing for your workers is actually the most profitable thing. And, you know, she, she personally feels a sense of mission that she's trying to improve millions of people's lives. But she says, look, you know, she doesn't feel the need for people to do it as a, an, act of alt, an act of altruism. She says, do it because it's, it, you know, it's, it's also, well, not only is it a thing to do for society, but it's the best thing to do for your business. So I do hope that there's going to be uh, a combination of those things where we can look to do the right thing for people because actually, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. So I've got one last challenge I want to run by you here, if I can. You know, with low unemployment like we have right now, um, it's, it's tough finding employees in the first place, but certainly a, a problem if, you know, if they go. But I, I ran across this in the mid-2000s, right? 2005, 2006, when same, same place, right? Low unemployment, the, the economy was doing great. And so we, we really kind of bent over backwards for the employees, and it completely backfired on us. We actually, you know, actually took the employees on a cruise because they'd accomplished something big. And uh, we, we did this big thing for them. And then they all left en masse. Literally, we had wow. half a dozen people leave all at the same time. And we and we really wanted to do the right thing for the employees. And what we found is it, it, it completely backfired on us. And what I've found since then is my theory is, is that employees are actually a lot like teenagers, um, they'll they'll push the boundaries, but they want the boundaries. And so having some, you know, having a framework um, that they are com- they they know what the framework is, they know what the rules, are, they know what 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 is expected. I find that to be much better than just giving in to whatever they want. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, I think you raise uh, an important point because one of the things that we do know is that workplace culture very much exists separate from perks and benefits. So, you know, whether that is you might see a friend of yours has gone to work for a company that's got a slide in their building or go to your friend has gone to work for a company where they provide free breakfast one day a week. And, um, and we, we mistake these things for the, the actual workplace culture at our peril. But I think what you've described there is, is one of the mistakes that companies make Someone described it to me as the smoothie delusion, the idea that you give something to someone and somehow it improves your workplace experience. It's simply, based on the evidence we've seen, it doesn't. So far more likely is that you know, we should try to set about to try and find ways to motivate workers for them to feel um, like they're in control of their work more than anything, more than any single thing. If people feel like they're in control of their work, they can make decisions, they, their decisions will stick, they feel like, like whatever they decide, their boss will trust them. When we witness that people uh, can make those decisions, it seems to be it has, it has the biggest impact on our experience. So I think, you know, sounds to me like you had a heroic performance and just doubling down on the sense of autonomy that people got in their jobs, the sense that they were... They were able to get things done. That sounds like it would have been as as effective as uh, the, the the extra crews that everyone got taken on. Well, and in fact, you know, as, you, as you're talking about this, it occurs to me that that's what's going on right now in our um, in in the two companies that I'm uh, associated with is that people do have 
they they are in control. I mean, we like, you know, we're there to support, but it's their job and and, and they own their job. Yeah. They literally do. And I, I think that that creates an energy of, look, I'm, I'm responsible. It's mine. I'll take it. And, uh, you know, if I need you, I'll call you. And, and I love that. I mean, literally, I go into the office once a week for about an hour. And that's it. And, right. and part of that is that I do want people doing their job. And it doesn't mean we don't communicate by email and, and otherwise during the, during the week. But what it means is I'm not hovering over them. And I do want them to feel like this is their job. It's not my job. And, uh, and that it's something that, you know, they can be proud of. And, and so I love that you, you bring that up. Thank you very much for that. I, um, I think that's very important. I think we sometimes hover a lot over employees and we kind of micromanage them. And I, I've always thought that uh, that doesn't fit for me anyway, but I've always thought that was a big mistake. Absolutely. Well, you know, when people feel like every, every move they make, every action they take, is being watched by their bosses, scrutinized and criticized, then generally they, well, we often welcome some attention, but when we feel like we have no agency to get our job done, that's where we feel just exhausted. Because if we feel like we can't succeed or fail. And it's back to your experience of being the youngest of six kids. You know, all of us have reached adulthood believing and wanting to try and make a contribution. And if work enables us to do that and unlock that, it can be incredibly um, enlifting for it. It can, can make us feel so motivated. Our job can feel like one of the, the things that can genuinely create some happiness in our lives. Oh, I, I love that so much, Bruce. So, Bruce, tell us uh, how to find your book. How do we find you? This has been absolutely fantastic. Well, look, I've loved that chat. My, um, the book and the podcast are of the same name. They're called Eat sleep, work, repeat. Uh, the book is, like I say, like a cookbook that you might be running for practice, but you just want to try and improve your workplace culture just a little bit or improve the relationship you have with some of your clients, bring some of this psychological safety to, to your relationships with them. And the, the pod, podcast is of the same. So the podcast was my journey to discover all of these things that ultimately made their way into the book. Thank you very much, Bruce. And thanks everyone for listening to uh, the WealthAbility Show for CPAs. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. I know I learned so much um, from the show today and listen to it over and over again. And we want to hear from you. So please always share your comments, your feedback. We, we always want to make the show better. We want to make it more impactful for you. So let us know. Um, we really do I mean, I'm seriously uh, about making this a better, better show because our goal is to completely revolutionize an entire industry because I love our industry. And uh, when we do, we're going to end up with much better clients, a much better practice and a better life. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.